Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. If you are a listener to the Weather Geeks podcast, you're probably familiar with severe thunderstorm and tornado watches. The Storm Prediction Center and its predecessors have been issuing them since the 1950s to alert people that thunderstorms may develop and they may bring damaging winds, hail, or tornadoes. About 100 of these are issued every year, and believe it or not, the first convective watch issued by a woman was this year, 2023. The author of That Severe Thunderstorm Watch was Liz Lightman, and she is here today on the Weather Geeks podcast. Liz, hi. It's so good to have you on the show. I'm meteorologist Jen Carfagno from the Weather Channel, hosting today's podcast for Dr. Marshall Shepard, by the way. But Liz, you have made the rounds on the media circuits talking about this accomplishment. We're just so glad to finally get you here. So... Before we get into all of it, all guests have to answer this question first, which is, what made you a weather geek? Oh, wow. Well, first of all, Jen, thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Um, But probably what made me a weather geek, actually, um, my fascination with weather started out of a fear of of weather. Uh, And my mom saw my reaction and wanted me to not be afraid when I was a very little girl. So she took me to the library, we checked out books about weather. And that kind of hooked me right then once I started to understand what was happening. uh, That fascination just grew. There's a lot of meteorologists that get their start that way from a fear. Did something happen? Was there a tornado? Was there a severe thunderstorm? Or was it just in general, the change in weather? Um, I think it was just in general, thunderstorms scared me. Um, you know, as a, as a, a, a little girl, um, I think the lightning and the thunder uh, and just kind of the anxiety of the unknown, what was going to happen um, was really what kind of drove my fear. So once I kind of understood better, what was going on, then it just grew from there. I think that is so wonderful because now your life has come so full circle. You started your your career basically afraid of thunderstorms and now you're warning people about thunderstorms. Let me go through some of your background for everyone who is listening. So you right now are a Mezzo Outlooker forecaster at the Storm Prediction Center. We'll talk more about that. Um, you've been a general forecaster at the National Weather Service in Louisville, Kentucky. You've worked at the National Weather Service in Billings, Montana. You've also spent some time at the National Weather Service in Oklahoma City. So um, I see a theme here, a lot of forecasting. Uh, And you also spent some time at the Oklahoma Climatological Survey, too, when you were a student, which I think is a really neat way to get perspective. Um, And most importantly, you have a BS in meteorology and mathematics from the University of Oklahoma. So my first question is, did you choose that because you wanted to either chase or study thunderstorms and tornadoes? So when I first came to OU, um, well, really ever since I was 
in high school, uh, the Storm Prediction Center was kind of my ultimate goal. And so even as a student at OU, I knew I wanted to work for the Weather Service and hopefully one day I'd get the opportunity to work for SBC. That is that is so neat and so rare, right? So few mm-hmm. actually get to live out your dream from when you were a kid. I have to say, yeah. I feel like I'm doing the same. I always wanted to work at the Weather Channel. I didn't think real people got to get to that point, right? And um, yeah, so I think that's a really neat accomplishment. Uh, so you went to the University of Oklahoma. You wanted to be closer to the Storm Prediction Center. Um, but let's let's talk about then this this big accomplishment of being the first woman to issue a watch, but stepping backwards a little bit. So I'm sure you read the discussions, you know, did you sort of have um, some of the authors of discussions that were kind of like your role model models or inspired you? Yes. And I can remember in college, you know, the group of us would, you know, be waiting for the initial day one outlook to come out at 1 a.m. So we could decide if we were going to do any storm chasing or things like that. And um, yeah, you do start to recognize the names that are on those outlooks. And one of the crazy things now is that you know, I, I'm actually working with some of those names that I recognized as a student um, and that I admired, and now they're my coworkers. And so it's really just kind of, it's surreal, even now, 14 years later. Yeah. I feel so many parallels between our career trajectories because I feel the same way. I watched Jim, you know, when I was younger on Jim Cantori on the Weather Channel, now I work side by side with him. And um, it's really, I, I feel like it's the, the type of environment in both places where we work, where you're constantly learning every day. And so that's so energizing now. Okay. Let's go back to the whole reason that, you know, we gotta, we gotta dig into this. So it's SPC or the storm prediction center for, for someone perhaps who's watching, who doesn't understand, they issue all of the convective watches, the severe thunderstorm and the tornado watches amongst many other things, but people know, you know, know that Um, they've been doing this for 70 years in some shape or form. And I want to get to how is it that it took until 2023 for a woman to be in the position to do that? So let's step through what it's like as a female in this industry, even going back into high school and college when you were you know, probably one of the few females in your classes taking science and, of course, in college with a meteorology degree, right? Yeah, that's true. And um, I think in my graduating class, we had about 40 students and probably about 10 or 15 of us were, were female, um, you know, and so women have always had, you know, always been a minority and in meteorology, it's always been a male dominated field. Um, and so that's part of the reason I think that it took so long, but there's some other factors, uh, that play, play into, you know, that 70 year history. And just now a woman has, you know, reached that level to where, she could issue a watch. Um, as, as he said, SPC and its various iterations have been around for about 70 years. And in those 70 years, there's only been 36 lead forecasters. So the lead forecasters have sole responsibility for issuing the watches. And there's only five of them. Um, and so, you know, coming to SPC is for most of us a career goal. And so once we get there, we don't leave. Um, and so it takes a long time, you know, through retirement and things like that for even those one of those five positions to come open. 
Um, and so it takes a long time. There's been limited positions. And then again, there just haven't been very many females who have worked at SPC. Yeah. So, you know, it's a bunch of compounding factors. No, and you can see how that happens, but then it's still, you know, so glaring. 2023, the first woman. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so happy for you. I'm proud for you that you, you got to do <laughs> it. What was it like in the moments before you hit submit? Did you realize what you were about to do? Uh, did you know it days or weeks in advance or months in advance? How did that come about? So we knew that I would be on training shifts coming up and we had kind of talked about it in operations and we're like, wow, are you, are you going to be the first woman to issue a watch? And we're like, we thought about it and looked through the history and we're like, yeah, we're like, oh, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. And, you know, in, in the moment I was more just thinking like, I can't believe this is happening. You know, I've wanted to do this since, you know, I was a teenager and it's finally happening and that's really cool. And in the moment I was just focused on, you know, doing the job I was supposed to be doing. And right before I hit send, I remember turning to my coworker, Evan was like, Evan, it's my first watch. Take a picture, please. And he was like, don't worry. I've been taking pictures already. (laughs) I love the the support that you've had around it too. Everyone is, you know, is so excited for this moment. And look, whether you were a man or a woman issuing a first watch as a lead forecaster for the storm prediction center is a really big deal for anyone who gets that opportunity. Right. It, it is. And um, I'm, I'm me and another coworker uh, are training right now uh, to be fill-ins at the lead desk. And um, he also recently issued his first watches. And yeah, everybody just kind of, you know, gathers around and watches and everybody just kind of celebrates, you know, w- once it happens, because it is, it's a big deal for everybody. Well, let's talk more about that lead forecaster role at SPC or the Storm Prediction Center. What goes into it and why, you know, is it considered so elite? So the five lead forecasters, they're pretty much like our crew chief um, on on shift. So they set the tone of how things are going to go for the day, how we expect things to play out. Um, they QC all of the products that get sent out. They, you know, are, are watching to see where we think severe weather is going to develop. They work very closely with our mesoscale forecaster who's writing those mesoscale convective discussions that we send out before a watch is issued. Um, and so they're, they're really, you know, our leader and, um, you know, making sure the the machine works efficiently uh, during the shift and that everything is covered, um, you know, facilitating a lot of discussion and internal collaboration on what we're expecting, um, it, you know, and so it's just a really, uh, it, it's an important job because they, they really do. They set the tone. They're responsible for those watches uh, that everybody knows about that, you know, sets the alarms off on your phones and your TVs and yeah. and things like that. So, you know, it's a big, it's a big job. Yeah, no, it really is. And hearing you talk about all the different pieces of SPC, um, it, it's really cool to get a behind the scenes look because I, I'm a, a user of these products every day. Every time there's a Mesoscale discussion, it's, you know, we click on it, we're sending it around on email or even just sharing right away. Like, hey, this just came out. Let's see what they had to say. So your words to us are so important as meteorologists, you know, it's, just it's a sharing of information. And I and I think the weather enterprise in the U.S. is like none other. There's so much sharing of information you know, from from 
government entities to private sector on social media. I just I appreciate the sharing that goes on. We all willingly, you know, give it. Yeah, you, you tell me about how that's been going. Your your work going through the government, National Weather Service now to Storm Prediction Center, um, and how that sharing goes. Yeah, so, you know, the Weather Service is made up of around 120 local forecast offices. And the local offices forecast whether they issue the severe thunderstorm and tornado warnings. Um, and so we work very closely with them. Uh, we coordinate with them whenever a watch is proposed. Uh, so the lead forecaster draws up the watch um, and what counties they think need to be included. And then we have a coordination call with all of the affected local NWS offices. And on that call, we talk about, you know, any uncertainties we might have, uh, why we're proposing a severe thunderstorm or a tornado watch, and just kind of a general how we think things are going to evolve. And then we go kind of round robin and ask each office, you know, how do you think this looks? Are you good with this? Are there any counties you want to add or take away? Usually that whole process takes about 10 minutes. Um, and then once everybody's happy with the watch, um, we go into the process where we create the, the probabilities for each of the different hazards, uh, severe wind, hail, tornado, uh, then write a brief discussion and then hit the send button and it's out. So from start to finish, when, you know, from when we're drawing up the watch box to having the call to pushing the send button, that whole process takes probably less than about 30 minutes. Okay, huh, that's quicker than I thought. Well, I have another question for you about this, and um, but we're going to take a quick break here on the podcast. When we come back, I want to learn more about you know how you've dealt with any barriers and what has been traditionally a male-dominated field. So we'll take a quick break. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm meteorologist Jen Carfagno from the Weather Channel, filling in for Dr. Marshall Shepard today. And I've got Liz Lightman from the Storm Prediction Center. She is a meso outlooker forecaster there, and she is the first woman to write a convective watch. Yes, in 2023. It took until 2023 to do that. And Liz, um, we've been talking about your role there and your training for lead forecaster, but I want to talk more about maybe some of the barriers that you've encountered going into meteorology first, maybe even in college and choosing it as a career, and then anything you've encountered along the way getting to this point. Um, I can vividly remember whenever I first started um, in college and when you're an incoming freshman, you kind of just meet with a generic academic advisor. And at that time, they, you know, I, I a lot of freshmen don't declare a, a, a you know, uh, a degree, mm-hmm. um, right? Yeah, major right off the the bat. And so, um, but I knew what I wanted to do, and they were like, "Well, I think that you probably won't make it. You should probably choose something else." Wow. And I was like, why would they do Yeah, they they thought that I wouldn't be able to make it through the rigorous program. I'm not sure why, Um, but they're like, that's a really hard major. You should probably choose something else. And I mean, I made good grades, um, you know, scored well on ACTs and things like that. So I wasn't really sure. It, It was surprising. And but there was no other option for me. And so I said, well, it's what I want. And so I'm going to, I'm going to go with this, Uh, you know, so I did and obviously I made it. And so, you know, um, to that advisor, I'm just like, well, look at me now. I I feel like we need to cue the Toby (laughs) song. How do you like me now? Because um, you have made it. I, I, and this is circa in the early two thousands, right? So it's not like this, Mm-hmm. was 1960. Right? This is recent. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. Wow. Yes. Um, I didn't expect that actually as a response. So once you got into the program though, did you, did you feel any, any different hardship than along the way? Um, I don't think so. You know, the, all of the people in the program, the professors, the, you know, the, the program here is just, it's really wonderful. Um, and I didn't, feel any types of barriers once I was in the program. Um, And honestly, since I've been in the weather service, I haven't really felt barriers so much. I will say that, you know, for most of my career at SPC, I've been the only female forecaster. Uh, We do have another female forecaster now, and we did have one um, for my first couple of years at SPC. But for most of my time at SPC, I was the only female forecaster. And it was a bit lonely, um, you know, because I I didn't really have another female coworker who, you know, we could kind of uh, rely on each other, confide in each other, um, things like that. And so there were times where I spent a lot of time questioning myself, especially once, you know, I... I had children, uh, went through some very difficult pregnancies and, you know, there, there was a lot of times where I was doubting myself, um, looking at my male coworkers and thinking, 
am I performing well enough? Am I doing enough extra stuff? Um, you know, are my bosses going to think I'm a slacker? Because honestly, I just don't have the energy to, you know, be at the top of performance. And I think that, you know, that kind of leads into another thing. We talk about work-life balance, which I think is kind of a misnomer because that implies that, you know, you're always performing equally at work and at home. And that's just not reality. Sometimes you have more energy and ability to give, you know, 110% at work. And sometimes you need to focus more on what's going on outside of work. Uh, and that's okay. Um, but certainly being the only female at times was a bit lonely, a bit challenging, had me questioning a lot about, you know, myself as a, as a forecaster and employee, um, things like that as a coworker, uh, and, but not really having anyone that I felt like I could confide in over those things. You hit on so many truths that women deal with in any workplace, I think, um, you know, where it's a male dominated field, but, but especially meteorology, because, you know, I live it too. And I talk to other female meteorologists and I, we all have kind of the same challenge. I think as a female and a mother, you also hit on a lot of things. That's really hard that the way you described the work-life balance situation was perfect. You, you can never have a balance. You're always half up, half down on one side and you, but you figured it out. I feel like quicker than a lot, maybe just because you had to, um, you know, in, in the position that you are, that you are in, it's, it's a challenge. And, um, but I feel like it also gives us somewhat of a superpower um, because you've, you've been able to figure it out, right? I mean, you feel a little bit stronger right. because you have figured out how to make that balance work. Yeah. And I think it's, it, you know, part of it is just figuring it out. And part of, part of figuring it out is, you know, being easy on yourself and real, that realization, the, the realization that I don't have to do all of the things all of the time is freeing. And so I wish someone would have talked more to me about that early in my career, um, because it is kind of something that I felt like I just had to figure out and accept on my own. And once that happened, it's like, you know, it, I felt more comfortable. I felt like I hit my stride, you know, and it, it took a while, you know, probably eight or nine years even into my career at SBC because I had a lot going on, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I got married, I had two kids, um, you know, things like that. And it, it wasn't really until I feel like my kids have gotten a little bit older or a little bit less reliant on me <laughs> that it's like, okay, I understand now how this should work. <laughs> yeah. And you're, kind you're of just stop putting so much pressure on myself. Yes. You're hitting on all of the things, the pressure that we put on ourselves and we probably don't need to, I don't necessarily think the expectations are there to, to perform at 150% as a mom and at your job at the same time. I, I don't think, and no one expects that, but we expect it of ourselves, which is part of the challenge. I have so yes. many questions for you. I was going to talk more about weather, but I just want to keep talking about this because I think, um, <laughs> A lot of people need to hear this, and, and especially for, you know, maybe younger meteorologists coming up through the ranks, too. Both male and female, I think one thing that they may surprise them once they get into their career, especially if you 
you know, have to move around a lot as you do as a meteorologist, whether it's moving to different TV stations or different National Weather Service offices to get to what your ultimate goal is. Um, it, it can be isolating. And whether it's because you don't have any friends there yet or it's because you're the only female in an office, um, I think that's a, a challenge in our small little, you know, niche little industry. It definitely is. And whether you're on TV or you're in operations, we have crazy schedules. Um, rotating shift work, work that's dictated by what's happening with the weather. Um, you know, and the weather never stops, so neither do we. And that can be very challenging. Uh, one thing that I always like to hit on whenever I talk to student groups about, you know, jobs in meteorology is just the fact that, you know, if, if you're going to go into any sort of operations where it's 24 seven, uh, you know, you have to have a really good support network around you, whether it's friends, family, you know, a spouse, uh, things like that, because it's really hard to make it work all on your own. And you need people in your life who are going to understand your crazy schedule and be flexible and help you. Yeah. So, yeah. When we, when we decide to do this, we are definitely signing up for a whole new level of a uh, commitment. Um, the weather never stops. You're, it's not that you're necessarily working all the time, but you're thinking about it all the time. If there's a oh, yeah. tornado outbreak, even if you're not on shift, I know you're looking at the weather and the radar. I know you, <laughs> even just I you, absolutely I know am. how you operate. <laughs> yes, I absolutely am. And then, of course, you know, my family lives elsewhere. And so, you know, I'm always looking at the weather where they're at. Um, if I'm not at work to make sure that, you know, they're safe and get a heads up and, and things like that. So, yeah, it's, you know, a lot of people like to say, well, at the end of the day, I walk out those doors and I'm done. Most of the time, that's true. But if there's anything interesting happening, uh, we're all kind of, I think, glued to the radar and, and watching. Yes, yes, no doubt. All right. Well, I want to ask Liz actually more about forecasting and get her expert opinion on some things. And I, I have to ask about a story about her wedding dress in a tornado shelter. So we'll take another quick break and then we'll come back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Jen Carfagna from the Weather Channel, and I've got Liz Lightman from the Storm Prediction Center here. And we're talking, we're talking a lot about women and meteorology and in the workplace, but let's, let's geek out about science since this is the Weather Geeks podcast. And I was uh, excited to get your thoughts on the future of tornado forecasting and tornado forecasting communication, because they're almost two separate things, right? Uh, Let's talk about tornado forecasting. Are we going to get to the point where we can pinpoint which storms are going to be the ones that drop tornadoes. I mean, there's we know to an extent which ones have a greater likelihood of rotating, but which ones do that and which ones have tornadoes? That's that's the question. Wow, um, that's the dream that's that the dream. we would be able to do it. Um, you know, the atmosphere is very chaotic. I think that we're at a point right now where we're very good at highlighting corridors. Uh, where tornado potential is highest, Um, even perhaps areas within those corridors of which storms have high tornado potential. Um, But forecasting exactly where or which storms, uh, that I don't think we're very close to that with any more than the type of lead time you get from issuing um, a warning to perhaps, you know, just very briefly, but um, I mean, yeah, that that's that's the dream. I think right now we're doing a very good job. Um, SPC has kind of taken an approach with their mesoscale convective discussions to highlight these very, you know, much smaller, narrow corridors within our watch areas where we expect tornado potential or destructive wind potential to increase over, say, the next one to two hours. So an area that's a little bit bigger than a warning, the time is a little bit longer than your typical warning, and it's kind of bridging that communication gap between when a watch is issued and when warnings are ongoing. And so we've been trying to be more targeted with that type of information. And so, you know, I do think that we're getting really close um, to being able to uh, increase that awareness at longer lead times, uh, but we still have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Well, and the important um, thing, too, is not to have too many false alarms because then people start to um, disregard the warnings, which goes along with the communication. And so my question there is, what do you need from the public when it comes to warnings and how do you want them to receive the information that you're giving them? Well, the, the big idea for the public is that they need to have multiple ways to receive warning information, um, you know, whether it's watching local news uh, with live on-air broadcasts during severe weather, uh, cell phone alerts. The Probably one of the best things that you can have is a weather radio. Um, you know, have redundant ways to get that information. And I think one of the big things that I've learned through my career is that, you know, sometimes we hear stories where people say, well, it struck without warning. Um, I, I think what people mean when what they actually mean when they say that, because after talking to some of these people, they, um, they, they will tell you, well, yeah, I knew that we were in a warning. I took action, but they still say that they didn't have warning. I think what they actually mean is that we didn't expect it to hit me 
or we didn't expect it to happen so fast or for it to be as bad as it was. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I think have your ways to get the warning. When you get the warning, take shelter immediately. If you want further information once you're in shelter to kind of verify that, okay, yes, it is my area. It's right here where it's going to happen. Seek out that information once you're in shelter, but don't waste time. Just go. Yeah. Our warnings are very good. <laughs> and so, you know, t- take it to heart. <laughs> Just get to shelter first. That point about without warning, that's something we talk about a lot, too, when we see it, you know, whether it's in the news or whether it's, you know, in on social media. Um, I think what people are seeking is a, literally a vivid sign in the sky. Like, this is coming right now. And sometimes that's not there. And, you know, what, whether it's because the tornado is coming and it's wrapped in rain and you just can't see it or because it's moving too fast or because you weren't paying attention you know, to every moment. So I do think it's important, you know, the seek action, take action when the, the warning is issued. That message is just so critical. And that's something, you know, we we try to continue on the weather channel is go to your safe room, go to your interior room, go to your basement if you have it, go to your shelter. Um, yes. And, you know, we're hoping that most people get the message. Uh, let's let's use um, talk about social media as a way to get that information out. So I think social media has pros and cons. It's great for sharing. When it comes to warning, I worry that it's it's not always there. Like weather radio is always there. Um, your cell phone alerts are going to come through as long as you have a charger in your phone. But when it comes to using social media for warnings, I'm not sure that that's the best way. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I agree. I think social media is wonderful leading up to events um, to, you know, raise awareness, to educate, uh, to get people ready, to spread the message. Um, But once the warnings have started, I think it's very unreliable. Um, It's really difficult in social media to parse out, you know, information that's specific for you in your area. Um, It's difficult to get timely information. Um, You know, in our social media feeds, things aren't always chronological. Uh, It takes time to filter and sort and search. So, you know, social media definitely has a place in communicating severe weather information, but it's before Mm -hmm. the event actually starts. It's not once it's happening. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, But speaking of communicating, uh, you uh, your watch that you issued was number 33. And of the year. So, and I, I looked that up and I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's, that must be your lucky number now, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but I, what struck me actually too was that, can you believe that we had 33 watches, convective watches by early February this year? Yes, it, that, that was crazy. We definitely started out with a bang through the cool season, um, you know, and it, and it stayed relatively busy. Uh, May has been... Uh, a little quiet, uh, especially the, the back half of the month, um, you know, compared to, to normal. But uh, yeah, it was definitely a busy, cool season. Yeah. Is, is 33 your new lucky number? <laughs> you know, honestly, we issue so many watches. I forgot that that's what number it was. <laughs> <laughs> Next time you need to pick a number, that's it. Yeah. Okay, so back to social media and sharing. You shared a story just recently about an anniversary of your dress, your wedding dress, and your cat in seeking shelter in a cubicle during a tornado warning. So I need to hear the rest of that story. (laughs) 
Yeah. So on May 24th, 2011, we were in a high risk here in central Oklahoma and we had a large tornado outbreak. Um, there were three violent tornadoes that kind of approached uh, Norman, the Oklahoma City Metro, and just north of the Metro um, during the afternoon. And I was working an evening shift um, that day. And so my house didn't have a tornado shelter and it was five days before I was supposed to get married. And I thought to myself, okay, today is one of those like really serious days around here. I'm not taking any chances. Tornado can take my house, but it is not stopping my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, uh, I packed my cat into his, his carrier and I grabbed my dress and my husband helped me carry my stuff up to the office oh my <laughs> and they waited it out in my cubicle. And we were very, very fortunate here in Norman. There was a, a, a violent tornado headed right towards basically the National Weather Center where SPC and the Norman Forecast Office is located. And um, we were very fortunate. There happened to be a left split thunderstorm that kind of crashed into it and it was destructive and it weakened about two and a half miles from the weather center. Wow. So it, it was a, a surreal uh, day where, you know, I was in ops and the news helicopters, which, you know, if you've ever watched news weather coverage in Oklahoma City, it's kind of crazy. And, you know, the news helicopters are out chasing, showing the, you know, live footage of the tornado headed right for me and the helicopters right above my building. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and my dress is in my cubicle with my cat. So, yeah, it was wow. it was a surreal day. That is that is quite the story. But all went off without a hitch. Dress was obviously in good shape. Um, and you mentioned you have kids. So what do your kids think about what you do for a living? Oh, my gosh, my kids, they they they're so sweet and they keep me humble. And, uh, my, my son, when he wants to know something about the weather, he actually says to me, Hey mom, can you ask Siri? Whatever it is. <laughs> and I was like, well, why don't you ask me? Like, you know, I know weather, this is what I do. And, and he's like, but I want to ask Siri, your kids, they, you know, they're little enough right now. They don't care. <laughs> you know, it's just like, okay, well, I know his mom leaves and goes to work and she does something with the weather. And my daughter was really excited, though, after I issued the watch. She had seen an interview with me on television. And I, whenever I came home later, she ran up to me and she's like, Mommy, I saw you on TV. And then her next thing that she said was, can you make me a snack? <laughs> the priorities. But she, she mentioned yeah. you first, so she had them in the right order. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're just kind of like, okay, yeah, mom, mom does something with the weather, but you know, I'm just mom to them. Yeah. Well, my kids are older, but they're the same way. They never ask me the forecast. They'll go out and they'll be like, I can't believe it rained. I'm like, but why, did, why didn't you ask me? Liz, thank you so much for being here. It's time we have to wrap this up. I hate that because I have a lot of weather questions. We'll have to have you back just to actually just focus sure. on, on weather and forecasting. But we do something at the end of every show. It's called Geek of the Week. That's where we highlight a scientist, superstar, great geologist, or a weather weenie. We do it at the end of every podcast. And you were nominated 
but you're the host or you're the guest. So um, I, I picked someone else. This episode's Geek of the Week is Mariama Feaster. Mariama is a May 2023 graduate from the University of Alabama in Huntsville with a Master of Science in Atmospheric Science. Her research focused on tornadoes inside quasi-linear convective systems, or QLCS, She's wanted to be a meteorologist since she was seven years old. She earned the nickname Weather Queen in the fifth grade because she always knew the weather. And now she has a bachelor's and a master's degree. So proud of her. Congratulations, Mariama. She has a similar um, process that you did and you know, wanted to be a meteorologist since she was young. Now, um, for our listeners, if you or someone you know would be a deserving candidate for our next geek, check out our social pages. We've got a link there where you can apply or you can submit someone's name. Liz Lightman, it was such a pleasure talking to you. I'm so glad that we were able to make this connection. Thank you so much for joining us on Weather Geeks. How can people contact you? Uh, people, probably the easiest way is to interact with me through Twitter at WXLIZ at WeatherLiz, um, or they can search for my email on the SBC webpage. Okay. I'm sure you're going to get a lot of questions. Um, so anyway, again, appreciate your time today and uh, good luck with the rest of the, the spring severe season. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good day. Thanks everyone for listening to this edition of Weather Geeks. Bye.